you can have all the Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio podcast with our new app. Just search your app store, uh, Apple, Android, Kindle, we don't care what you use. Search the app store for Explorations Early Learning, download the app, give it a try. Cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Winnig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. childhood nerd collective to join me and we're going to talk about a quote that we like something that we've read that was meaningful to us and um, we'll, we'll talk about why we chose the quote and we'll hold on my entertain my internet connection's bad yeah i was gonna say you, you kind of pause there for a second yeah shit okay i'm gonna clap again and we're gonna start all over okay you ready hey welcome to the podcast this one is called Cause and Effect, and here's how it works. I am Heather Winnig. I'm that early childhood nerd, and each episode I'm going to be joined by someone from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective, and we're going to talk about a quote from something we've read that we thought was meaningful and interesting. So we'll talk about why we chose the quote, and then we'll also talk about how to make it real in our work with young children um, in whatever capacity. Um, our audience is working with young children. Hopefully we can make a connection for you. So joining me on this episode is Ben. And Ben, I'll let you tell people about yourself. Hello, my name is Ben Planton. I work at the YMCA Center for Children and Families in Bloomington, Indiana. I'm the assistant director down there. Um, I've been working in early childhood for about a decade now. I was an infant toddler teacher for seven years. I worked for Indiana AUIC, um, and now I'm back down in Bloomington. All right, thank you. I'm so glad you're on. This is going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> so here's our quote. Here's our starting point. And this comes from a book called Lynchpin by Seth Godin. And it's not a book that's particularly written for um, specifically for early childhood uh, folks, but I felt like this had some value. So the quote is, I'm sitting next to Zeke on the plane. Well, I'm sitting, but Zeke isn't. Zeke is too. He spends the entire flight standing, walking around, poking, smiling, asking, touching, responding, reacting, testing, and exploring. Is it possible that you were like Zeke? What happened? Somewhere along the way, we baked it out of you, and that's a shame, because what Zeke has, and what so many of us have lost, is exactly what we need. Are you laughing already? A little bit. I mean, Chomping at the bit? I've been on a couple of uh, pretty long plane rides over the last... <laughs> few months and oh, on at least two of them there was there was definitely a zeke yeah very very close to me um yeah so so what my first question when we were sort of planning this out was let's talk about why why it's important to walk poke ask touch etc why why does he feel like it's a shame that we've lost that and that children have it why do you need to walk, poke, ask, and touch? <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. th there's a purpose to doing all of those things. And even as adults, we, we still have to use all of those methods of interacting 
um, in order to accomplish something, learn something, get what we want. Um, you know, it. You want to poke that pillow before you buy it at Target. You want to <laughs> uh, touch someone on the shoulder to get their attention. Um, yeah. You need to obviously walk places to get engagement. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so much like a child, we have we have the same needs. However, we've got a little bit more experience than Zeke does. So right. Zeke needs to be able to get into all of that. The child has to be able to touch, feel, poke, ask, everything they see, because they haven't yeah. encountered a pillow before, necessarily. Yeah. They haven't encountered a particular person, so they don't know how that person's going to react when they say, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Can I touch <laughs> yeah. you? Can I not touch right. you? Um, Can I do it? <laughs> Yeah. 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 You know, I think that we have forgotten, and I may be stealing this from someone. I think we've forgotten what it's like to be little, and that really interferes with our ability to relate to what they need to from us in situations like this one with Zeke. Um, you know, depending, it's a plane, so there's some things that are different. But putting this in an early childhood context, um, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with a two-year-old who wants to run his hand along the wall as you're walking from the classroom to the playground or wherever you're walking. Um, but for some reason, I see very often people telling them not to do that and, and treating it as if that was something wrong when we've just forgotten how to be curious, I think. I don't really want to think of it as be, like we've forgotten how to be little. I'd, I'd much prefer yeah. to think of it as we've had, I mean, much like the quote kind of sets it up, that uh -huh. I think we've had our investigatory nature kind of driven out of us but by people telling us to stop, by people telling us, like, oh, we don't do that. That's not oh. polite. Um, right. You know, sitting through school, I when I read this quote and then kind of like the, the baking it out of you, you know, I had several teachers who did not want you to be asking questions or doing anything and so I got shut down and in trouble oh. and all these things for trying to actually learn the way I needed to learn for wondering yeah mm -hmm. yeah and I think what we end up doing then is we teach them that wondering is wrong um, or acting on your idea is wrong mm -hmm. and um, in early childhood I think that's really um, a tr horrible, yeah, a tragedy. I was going to say Travisham mockery, and then I changed my mind, but now it's out there. So it's, it's a Travisham mockery is what it is. It's a travesty, a sham, and a mockery. Um, and I feel like, uh, you know, we do it because we think we're teaching them what they're going to need for school or for whatever the future thing is when they have to walk orderly in a line or not touch or not talk or not move. But we take all the curiosity out that they're going to need when they get into those situations, too, um, which I, I think is why none of us have it anymore, or it's so hard to get back in touch with. Oh, well, yeah, I definitely lost mine for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, it took years for me to really get interested in being actively an active learner again uh -huh. um, after some experiences with teachers in high school. Uh, yeah. That's too bad. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's really that kind of really sad that I is terrible. Yeah, another Travis Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just um, oh, I had a thought and it's gone now. Um, oh, so in one of the other podcast episodes, Tiffany Pearsall and I talk about um, 
uh, an article that I go back to pretty often that I read probably 20 years ago um, that had done some study and and had a theory that even teachers who've had good solid training in developmentally appropriate practices um, and child development, when they got into an actual situation with young children, they would revert back to their own school memories. And that is quite often elementary school and older. So even in, if in their teacher prep classes, we were talking about all this, there's a, there's a strong likelihood that um, without some intentional practice and mentoring and guidance, when they get into a classroom, they'll revert back to those things that are the opposite. Yeah, so people might, might revert back. Another thing I've seen working with teachers is, you know, like, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And so, like, the teachers come in, they, like, set up their room, they put a ton of work into their environment, mm -hmm. and then the kids come in, and they feel like the kids are messing everything up. <laughs> you know, like, yes, like, yes. put all this work into making everything perfect, and now it's, you're breaking all right. of it. Um, yeah, yeah. We just talked about this in the teacher training because we were talking about provocations and loose parts, mm -hmm. and I showed some really beautiful pictures of some provocations that had been set out in an early childhood environment, and a couple people's first response was, oh, they would destroy that in a minute. Well, that's the point. <laughs> this is beautiful to invite them, and then we want them to take it and make it their own and explore it and wonder about it and take action on it. Very much so. Yeah, I interrupted you. Do you remember what you were going to say? Uh, I think it was most of the way through the, okay. through the thought. Right. Yeah. So we kind of slipped into that next question already. What kind of adult behaviors can interfere with all of this kind of stuff? Is there more that you'd like to add to that? Um, so and, you talked. Yeah. And, you talked a little bit about outcome. Yeah. When we were emailing. So, what is the long-term outcome of baking all of this interest and uh, learning skill out of a child? I mean, if we're telling children that are that. Their, how they're acting as a person is not okay. Are there long-term ramifications? I mean, we all need to learn how to survive and thrive in a social society, in a social setting. Um, but we also do need boundaries and expectations. So, like, right. how do you balance having those boundaries and expectations to make sure that everything is going in a positive social um, and learning way while still not undermining what it intrinsically means to be a human yeah um and to be a child to be a learner again i, I almost kind of want to focus not on just the children because i think uh -huh. you know if adults can learn this way adults can be this way um without right. being so not controlled yeah, you know, I think I think that's an important point to talk about what then, what if the adults that we have in these classrooms or in these family child care homes or whatever the setting is, what if those adults are the ones who have had um, all of that baked out of them and they just don't know how important it is anymore and they don't wonder. And I think it's so hard then to um, follow the child's lead or do, you know, some observation and see what the child's working on and then get curious about that. Like, I wonder why he did those things that way. I wonder what would happen if I added this in. I think that's really hard for a teacher who hasn't spent time getting back in touch with this part of themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, particularly if, if you think about what 
as early childhood educators, we want to have a positive relationship and have the environment in our classroom be positive. If we're not comfortable with the children in the classroom being investigatory, we're going to be telling them no, stop all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's just not what we want to do in a classroom. We want to be right. encouraging them and helping them learn what they should be doing um, yeah. while tapping think about, into that. Yeah, think about how draining that would be to go through your whole day mm-hmm. with no and feeling like you're a failure because they've destroyed your good, nice environment and wondering why they're not doing what you want them to do. I I think that's a hard way to go through your job too. Although, I mean, people in our there's a fair number of people in our field who who still do. Um, yeah, but I bet they feel stress. Yeah, well, very. I mean, so. I bet they feel stress about it, um, just not enough to really shake themselves up at all to do to do some thinking. I always I say a lot because most of my job now is working with adults and doing trainings and and mentoring and stuff, and uh, I always like to say if something that I'm saying is making you feel defensive or is triggering some discomfort, then we really need to, either you and I together or you on your own, stop and spend some time with that discomfort. What, what is it that's making you feel like you want to argue with me about it? And if nothing else, you learn to articulate your vision better by doing that. Yeah. But best, best case scenario, you challenge yourself to try something different. Well, a lot of it comes back to like just re- remembering why we're doing what we're doing in the first place, yeah, and why we're working with young children, what the outcomes right. are we want to be are. Mm-hmm. Um, An outcome is such a big word now. Yep. I mean, <laughs> so there might be some clarification too. You know, not just what program outcomes do you want, but you yourself in this interaction with this child, what do you hope to accomplish, or what do you hope to have happen? Uh, some folks might need a little bit more of a walkthrough. <laughs> well, I mean, we all come from different places. We all know different things. We all pick up different stuff. Yeah. Um, but, like, focusing on this and reminding people. Because even if you came in to the field and you were an amazing teacher for years, you know, you might get stressed. You might get burned oh, out. Sure. And you might forget a lot of this stuff yeah. that we're talking about. Um, and you need to be reminded. I mean, I've right. I've had moments of stress. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I don't want to come across as I'm saying, if you're feeling stressed about your job, you're doing something wrong. No. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I just think doing, making this shift and being really intentional about it makes your job more fun, mm-hmm. makes your job more rewarding. You see more of the depth of what's happening. Yeah, you see a lot more of the depth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I thought with this, too, just in terms of adults who have lost the ability to wonder and problem solve and take initiative, how that um, impacts their work with children and guiding their behavior. Because I think a lot of what I see with the teachers who get very frustrated with it, not with, you know, the ones who are, who are handling it, not so much, but the ones who get very frustrated and are desperate for that gimmick that will get everyone in line, aren't curious about why it's happening. They just want to stop it from happening. Yep. Well, that goes back to the the positive environment rather than negative yeah. environment. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm the bad cop and you're the good cop in this conversation. <laughs> uh, I can play um, any role you need me to. It's not the first time. I'll just say that, that I felt that way in a conversation. But 
yeah, you're right. You want to get back to positive interactions and positive uh, views. Well, and quite often, the best way to be positive is just to let children do what they need to do. Again, yeah. you know, boundaries and expectations need to be set. Um, right. You know, beforehand, if at all possible. Uh, well, and I think to your to your question earlier about how do we set those boundaries and expectations, that answer is like so many other answers. It depends. Mm -hmm. You know, we we don't need to do it all at once. We don't need to do it at every single time there's a perceived infraction. Um, and it's not always the child who needs to make all the changes. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Quite often not. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but and I think a lot of that is that always looking forward. You know, well they're gonna they're gonna be three. They're gonna move up to that older room. We need to start doing things the way they'll do it in the threes room. Um, <laughs> instead of just meeting children where they are uh -huh. and making the environment fit them. Yeah. Um, but and that but that feels like you're teaching. I think that fits that stereotype or that that image we have of teaching sometimes. Well, I, I know I've talked to preschool teachers and asked them, like, so why do you do, why are you doing this particular thing? Why, when the children line up to go outside, why are you making everyone, like, be quiet? Like, yeah. why are they not allowed to talk? Like, well, <laughs> they're not going to be allowed to talk in kindergarten. Right. Okay. Yeah. So when are they going to kindergarten? Three years! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what I think? I think if we're trying to force all that stuff early before they're ready... We're basically forcing that child to in, to invent some sort of escape behavior that they're going to have to unlearn in kindergarten anyway. Yep. So we're not really doing the favor that we think we are if we think a little bit deeper about that. Um, uh, I'm looking at my notes now. See if there's anything else. I just um, I just loved the image of Zach on the plane walking around doing all that exploring. And, uh, I mean, that's just something I love to watch, love to see, is someone being allowed, a child being allowed to really fully experience their environment. Mm -hmm. Now, an airplane is kind of a, probably the most sure. difficult place for you to be sure. able to do that. Right? Just yes. Everything's tight spaces, right. belt safety right. signs and everything, right. supposed to be followed. People needing to the aisle. Yep. Sure. Sure. Um, so. Yeah, we don't, and but we don't know how everyone was responding or what else was going on in this little, um, this little bit of wondering that the author was doing. Um, let's see, what? Um, oh, so you you talked a little bit back to the what kinds of adult behaviors. I wanted to touch on this a little bit when we were um, emailing about this one. Um, you talked about a session at NACI's Professional Development Institute. That talked about the research with toddlers and social emotional skills. Will you talk about that? Yeah. So I went. Um, I went. I had the, the fortune to go to the, the <laughs> Professional Development Institute in Baltimore, um, and there were a, a, amazing sessions. But one of the ones that kind of talked to, to this point a little bit that I wanted to bring up is that they did research on how we talk about emotions with young children, and this was specifically with toddlers. So it was ones and twos. And they tracked how many times teachers, like, labeled emotions and just discussed in, like, a, you know, giving language kind of way, like, discussed emotions and various things. And then how often also 
they blew off or like denied that the child was having an emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they this is a, a pretty long period of research. Um, and they discovered that all of the all the positive things had mild positive impacts. Um, not necessarily one any more than the other. If you're acknowledging feelings, labeling feelings, talking about feelings, it's all good. Um, mm-hmm. But the the major thing they found is that when you deny emotions, like oh, shake it off, you're not sad, you're fine, you're fine. Um, <laughs> that actually does lasting harm to a child's ability to regulate and understand their own emotions. Mm. Um, so the positives were all like okay, but the you know it was all kind of like baseline, and then the negative yeah. was pretty substantial. Right. Um, so we really need to think about when we're working with children. You know, it, it's one thing right. if a child falls, scrapes their knee, it's not really that bad. You wipe mm-hmm. it off with soap. You say, "I see that you're hurt, but you're going to be fine in a minute. It's just a right. small scrape." That that's one thing, and that's okay. It's another yeah. like the child's sad about their parent leaving, and you're saying. Right. No, you don't need to be sad. We're going to be having – or you're not sad. You, right. You're here to have fun. We're going to have fun. No, it, it, I, My I'm son not, got put in timeout for crying when I left. <laughs> oh, yeah, like that. A couple times. Yeah, um, that was bad. Didn't work. Didn't go over well. I have a hard time even talking in a, like, demeaning or denying of emotions <laughs> way. It's hard for me to come up with examples. I you just, can't even come up with examples. I really try not to ever do that. Um, That's great. But I think you're okay is so prevalent and it's so easy. And we think, because that's something I've talked with people about, and they think, well, it's, you know, it's not like I'm hitting them. But maybe it is like they're hitting them. Mm-hmm. You know, if the research is saying that there's this this lasting negative effect, yeah. then we are, in fact, maybe doing harm by denying the emotion. It's just as simple as, I see that you're sad. Yeah, yeah. But you're going to be okay. Right. Like yeah. just even working in one of the positive methods of talking about emotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I see that you're sad. What can we do? Yeah. <laughs> what would you like to do? Or how can we try? Just admitting yeah. that children have emotions. They yes. feel emotions. And it's okay for them to feel emotions. And it's okay for them to not have developed the skill that we have to manage our emotions yet. Particularly on, say, an airplane. <laughs> right. One of the trips Which, I was on, there was a, a two-year-old who – it was a six-hour-long plane flight. And there was a two-year-old who was just out of control, yeah. and the parents were trying. But I you know, I can completely see – I mean, this was a very, very active child. Uh-huh. Um, and they kept apologizing me to me, like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like, yeah. no, it's okay. Yeah. You have an incredibly, incredibly active physical two-year-old crammed on a tiny space for six hours. Like, And side note, I understand child development. Yes. So I know this is all cool. <laughs> yep. That's what I always feel like I need to wear like a sign in public so people don't feel like they need to apologize for every little thing that their child might do in front of me. <laughs> yep. Like, it's okay, I get it. That's all my shirt needs to say. It's okay, Mom, I get it. <laughs> Although sometimes I have to give the kid like a, yeah, I, I know, it's hard. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, kid, kind of a look. Yeah, I, I'm six foot four, so I don't fit on an airplane for six hours very well either. Right. Um, 
I can commiserate. Yeah, yeah. So maybe just taking that, maybe a good first step is, what do I want to say? How do I want to say this? Maybe a good first step if you're listening to this and, and you really want to think about your own practice with it is some perspective taking. Like when you see a child touching something you don't necessarily, in your first reaction is, no, don't. Maybe stop yourself and think it through. Maybe is a good first step. What would you say mm-hmm. for someone well, who wanted to take these thoughts and try something new? I think the one of the most important things is is think about before you react, uh-huh. stop for a second. Yeah. Even if just a second, like, oh, do I actually need to do anything? Yeah. What should I do? Right. Um, it's so easy just to get into the routine of reacting and trying to like be pro, you know. Preemptive, yeah. um, that we forget. We need to let children explore things. We need to let them discover natural consequences, <laughs> as long as they're you know not too not going to kill not, them, not too bad, um, <laughs> not a not a deathly natural consequence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I think about um, another because uh, really what this brought to mind, and I don't know why this drives me crazy so much, but it really does. Just not letting kids touch the wall when you walk by a wall really sticks in if you haven't picked up on that um and the you know the reason i'm sure is that they have a limited amount of time on the playground space that they share and they just want to get out there because they know the kids want to play out there but there's quality of life to think about between a and b and and i think that's sort of what this quote said to me too was that you know what what was zeke's quality of life in those moments that he was doing all that exploring even if we do have to stop them or set limits What's our manner? What's our method? Are we, are we still at least hearing them, are seeing them, acknowledging them? Yeah, I think that's a big thing and easy. Again, by just stopping and pausing before you react. So maybe some sort of visual. Maybe they need to tie some string on their fingers or something to remind them to pause and reflect before they, before they act. Okay. Well, I, anything else on this one, Ben? Um, I don't know. Probably could talk for. Yeah. Who knows how long, but. <laughs> well, we have a whole other episode yep. to do that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for talking to me about this one. This has been an episode of Cause and Effect. Glad you joined us and hope you'll listen again. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio.